Hello, everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is the Marketplace Podcast, episode number 74. I'm joined today with Matt DeCourcy, a highly successful entrepreneur. Matt launched his first company in a spare bedroom of Indianapolis in 2009 using nothing but an Amex card with $8,000 on it. He built companies that generated over millions of dollars in revenue. We have Matt on the show because he's going to talk about just that. His book is called The Million Dollar Bedroom, Scrappy Lessons of Success, Setbacks, and Other Surprises Not Taught in Business School. That's all part of his title. Matt and I talked so much more about the entrepreneur life and what it means to go out and get what you're believing in. We hear so many successful and sexy stories about being entrepreneurs and running your own business that sometimes when people are failing or struggling to get a business off ground, they think it's them. They think I'm the problem because look at everybody else. They're on Instagram and they're Ferraris and nice cars. No, being an entrepreneur is tough. There's challenges. You will have successes and you'll have losses, maybe more losses than successes. And it's important to talk to other entrepreneurs to hear their stories of those setbacks, to hear those stories of successes, to keep us inspired. You should be inspired by both the successes and the setbacks. Not everything is successful. So you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. And if you're not, fail fast, quit it and move on to the next thing. So I'm excited to talk about Matt, about these very things. Very engaging guy. And I look forward to you hearing him as well. Without further ado, here is my man, Matt DeCourcy. Hey, Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, excited to have you. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Eric, our producer, kind of shared your stuff with me. And I was like, man, this is really cool. So I got the book and it's something that I'm excited to talk to you about. But of course, I want to talk about your entrepreneurial journey. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Matt DeCourcy and I live in Kansas City, 42 years old, wife, two kids, pretty standard in that regards, lifelong entrepreneur. I don't like to overuse the term serial entrepreneur, but (laughs) if there is one, I'm probably it. (laughs) meaning I I often try 10 things hoping that one goes well. And I'm currently uh, the CEO and founder of gigabook.com, which is an online scheduling platform that small businesses use to uh, take appointments from their existing websites. So it's a cloud-based appointment booking platform, which I think is pretty unique. I mean, I kind of looked around to see what kind of competitors are out there. And I think there's another larger one out there. And I believe they're based in North Carolina here, but it's kind of unique in its offering, right? Um, It is and it isn't. It's funny because I always talk to people about the whole appointment setting thing. You know, the Romans beat us to the calendar a couple thousand years ago. (laughs) So, uh, And that's usually in response to people asking if we have any patents or anything like that. And I said, well, the Romans beat us to the calendar and pretty much everything else in there, someone else beat us to as well. But putting it all together in a package that makes sense and is useful for a small business owner is what we try to do. You know, I really want to talk with you because you have a great book and this is what we're going to get into, The Million Dollar Bedroom, Scrappy Lessons of Success, Setbacks and Other Surprises not taught in business school, which brings me up to another question at some point, but what were kind of the steps that led you into being an entrepreneur? Well, I was in many ways born an entrepreneur. Um, I say that because I was the kid that had a lemonade stand and was doing it when I was five. And it just seemed like everything that I was doing along the whole course of my life was oftentimes related to entrepreneurial ventures. So I kind of knew as I got older that I needed to and wanted to and should be doing something for myself and owning my own business. I just, it's sometimes difficult to figure out what. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we can tell ourselves that our ideas are great when they're not. But like I previously mentioned, I'm someone who tries a lot of different things, sometimes feeling for what's going to gain traction or what might work and what might not. So not being afraid of failure and looking for the things that lead to success or probably what brought me to being an entrepreneur. I mean, I had a fairly decent professional background. And then in the story of Million Dollar Bedroom, I actually started my businesses at 
the worst time of my life to do so <laughs> and pretty much accidentally. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, being able to recognize when it was a good time to jump onto something and ride it and see where it took me. And that's something I've gotten better at over the years as well. And it's interesting. And the reason why I bring it up, although you're right in my age bracket there, when we go off to college, sometimes a lot of us college students at the time are kind of searching for career identities and all this and that. And similar to you, I was an entrepreneur as well, but I went to school, dropped out because it wasn't me, right? But I see that you kind of went through it. You were committed at Kansas. There's, And that's exactly the question that I was asking was, were you always an entrepreneur? Did you kind of go off to school, got into business a little bit, and then at some point something sparked your fire and then created your businesses? But obviously, you're saying you were born one. So. You know, in the in the early pages of the book, I actually point out that I've been to five colleges and now I'm a junior. <laughs> and right. uh, for a long time, you know, I was very insecure about that because, you know, you go to apply for jobs and they want you to have a degree or an MBA or stuff like that. And you're dealing with other people that oftentimes have what appears to be a stronger pedigree than you. Now, the one thing that I always could control was my own effort and my own output. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you can't teach in school. And I don't want to downplay. I did go to some good schools. And actually, the last one that I quit was a top 10 business school. So I was able to gather enough stuff out of my educational experience and then my professional experience, along with just my own drive to kind of bring myself to a point where I could start my own businesses. And I get asked the question a lot of, you know, what do I need to do to start my own business? I give this answer and I'm not being a smart ass when I do it, but you need to just start your own business. Mm -hmm. And if you're never going to do it and you're going to always tell yourself that the right time hasn't arrived, then you're going to find yourself living a life of not feeling like you're getting what you want. That doesn't go for just entrepreneurism. That goes for a lot of different things. So the right time never really comes. At some point, you do have to jump and then build wings. I agree with you 100%. And just taking a step back about the college, I don't think you're bashing it at all. I think there was a time, especially for you and I, where a lot of the things that we're learning today from a digital perspective and you know, just a global economy, if you will, just weren't really there or in place while we were going to school. So a lot of what we learned was really just kind of cutting our teeth on stuff that we were willing to hustle or try outside of school for that matter. And sometimes you looked at it and said, you know what, I something that I'm going to just isn't taught here, but we're still learning economics that they learned or, you know, some class that they learned in the 50s that doesn't even apply to today. So, which I think is true. Now, I think colleges are slowly catching up with the millennials and other people are looking for, but you bring up an absolute point. That's why I was going to ask the question, do you think, as your title describes in the Million Dollar Bedroom, do you think business schools specifically are behind on what You're learning if you just, as you pointed out, go out and start something. So if I just started a business, I decided to go forego any kind of business school. Do you think I'll get more out of it by doing it that way? I do. Or do you think you don't have to do it either or you can maybe do both? Well, I think you're going to have to learn it, all that stuff, regardless of where you learn it. When it comes to things like when I look back at school and, you know, school's great at teaching you the fundamentals. But the fundamentals, I mean, things like how to keep an accounting ledger and just do certain things like that, understanding certain practical stuff. Now, the reason I wrote Million Dollar Bedroom is I was really kind of tired of classic business and business school type books. And I wanted to create something that gave a reader a realistic approach about what you were really going to experience. And there's an example, you know, business school wants to teach you that things go from A to B to C to D to E to F to G. Well, in the real world, C didn't show up for work and D is broken. So we can't really get to E. Mm-hmm. So A and B are stuck in their process way down the road. And those are those real life examples. And the only thing that I have issues with when it comes to classic education is a lot of the people that are teaching you are strictly academic. Mm-hmm. And with that, there's this reality laced pill that we're all going to have to swallow at some point that really 
it's like I said, it's like business school doesn't oftentimes teach you how to deal with crisis mm-hmm. and how to do certain things. They'll, they'll teach you the fundamentals, but until you get some experience and some learning, and then oftentimes too, you know, when you're starting a new entrepreneurial venture, it doesn't come with an owner's manual. So you got to figure a lot of that stuff out. So when I look back, the fundamentals that I learned in school were great. The practical application of it, not as much. Right. Very good points. Do you agree? I absolutely agree 100%. That's exactly what I think from my perspective that I felt. There's a lot of fundamental learning that you can get from school, but in terms of practical application, until you do it, you're really not going to be fluid at doing it. Listen, and this isn't a knock on anybody that I worked with or have worked with. It's just simply put, there's a lot of people that come out of very prestigious colleges and schools and have degrees sitting up in their cubicle and all that good stuff. And they don't have a lot to give you because they don't have life's lessons of business and experience to apply to it. So their critical thinking from a much holistic perspective isn't there. They can just purely give you what they were taught. And again, that's not a knock. It comes with age and so forth and so on. That's why I think when you get past 40, you having a business degree on your resume doesn't matter. I mean, have you been successful? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I've oftentimes said that a lot of what a degree, regardless of what field you got it in, is indicating that you're trainable. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that you, that you can start a task and you can finish it. And maybe that's a knock on me because I never finished school. And, <laughs> you know, I, I do have entrepreneurial ADD and that might be another reason why. But yeah, I agree. And I think in the end, when you get to a certain point as well, it's more about what you've done and how you've done it and your ability to keep doing it. Yep. Uh, more so than, than a pedigree. I, I wouldn't give back my story in exchange for a piece of paper at this point. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing too. I mentioned in my book, you can learn about anything you want and figure out how to do just about anything from Google. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the information that is out there, and that's another thing with uh, classic education is things change at at a light speed rate now. And by the time someone can publish a book about something, it could have changed two or three times. And that's where that, that, uh, kind of that real time learning. And, you know, I constantly am teaching myself new things all the time. And, you know, I have a Amazon Kindle and membership to unlimited and I, you know, I'm always skimming through things and trying to pick up new stuff. Sometimes it's just so I can have conversations with people like the big hot thing that everyone's talking about now is initial coin offerings and stuff like that. And, you know, just, oh man, just, you know, being curious about what some of that is. It's not that I'm about to launch an ICO, but uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated with it. Uh, you know, one of the things for an entrepreneur is important is when I was in my late twenties, I was working a lot. I didn't own my own business at this point. The woman who's now my ex-wife, she's like, you really need a hobby. So I tried all these different things. I tried playing golf and just doing a lot of different stuff. And and none of them really felt that fulfilling. And I came back to the point that I really like making money. Mm -hmm. So I decided that making money was going to be my hobby. (laughs) And I haven't worked a day since. I like it. That enables me to get up and do what I do and have fun with it, like good or bad and, and, you know, rain or shine or tired or fresh. And I think that that's the kind of attitude that you have to have as an entrepreneur and also understand that if you're going to own your own stuff, it's not just going to happen between nine and five. That's right. So take us through those iterations of you being an entrepreneur. So you started a ticket broker business. You're now the CEO of Gigabook, and we talked about what that is, and you're, of course, an author, and you have a couple books out, and we're talking about one of them now, The Million Dollar Bedroom. Talk us through in terms of what has that meant for you? You made it clear that you're not in a a search for money. You're purely, you're finding your peace and your joy in creating businesses and finding things to get into, whether it's Bitcoin or writing books or whatever it is, but at what point does an entrepreneur kind of settle his mind or her mind and really find what their calling is? Or is it possible that just being an entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur, if you will, 
is your calling. That's just who you are. That That's what makes you up. I actually have done a lot of observation on this over the last few years. And I know different types of entrepreneurs. I used the phrase earlier, entrepreneurial ADD. Mm-hmm. That's me. I try lots of different stuff. I never just have one thing. I know people that think that that's a downside. That's your next entrepreneur. And that's the person with blinders on. Hmm. Now, those people can oftentimes do really well. The problem that I have with that approach is you've got all your eggs in one basket. And I learned through my own journey that oftentimes the next hustle was saving the previous one or vice versa. You just have to understand when it's time to let go of certain things and when it's time to focus on things. So I'm kind of like that guy that's spinning plates on the end of poles, you know, (laughs) something wobbles and I run over and I give it a whirl. And then you have the third type of entrepreneur. Those are the people that are more drawn towards the things like opening a franchise or stuff like that. They're best suited to take the things that are repeatable models and they're good at repeating those models. And I think you're one of those three people. Mm -hmm. And if you're the first two, you have to be ready to explore the unknown and not let it freak you out. And I know a lot of people that just aren't going to handle that. They're not going to handle it well. It's going to literally eat them up inside. If you're someone that's worried a lot and you have a lot of anxiety, those first two types of entrepreneurism are not for you. If you really want to explore it, go with something that's already got a path laid out for you. As far as the journey goes, it's still going back to that point, you know, that right time's never happening. It's never coming. There are times that are better than others. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like don't start your new business three days before the birth of your second child. (laughs) Um, For me, it's, I wasn't even really trying to start a business and the whole story of million dollar bedroom. I'd actually bought some concert tickets to some shows that I didn't end up attending. And when I sold them, I made a few dollars online. And I said, huh, that's kind of interesting. So, you know, I was still in school at the time as an adult, I'd gone back and I kind of just kept repeating that process. And all of a sudden I was like, huh, you know, this is kind of interesting. And I turned my original three or 400 bucks into a couple grand at that point. And, you know, just kind of had to keep things moving in a forward direction. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm making deals with teams and venues and places like that. And, you know, we're starting to market their products. And then on top of that, I said, well, look at all these websites that are selling these tickets. I think we should probably have some of those. And we started building those. And, you know, this is where school and entrepreneurism kind of come into each other because, you know, 10 years ago, the big thing was, hey, you got to find some offshore workers and see what you can do here and there and globalization, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. They don't tell you how to do it. They just tell you you need to. So you know, <laughs> here I am taking out a classified ad in the Cebu City, Philippines newspaper. You know, next thing you know, I'm hiring employees over there. And next thing you know, I've got a half a dozen of them. It's just about, you know, you're finding the things that work for you and the things that make sense and you make sure they're going to, and then you just start duplicating them over and over and over. You know, I do try to think several steps down the road, like it would have been easy for me to hire offshore workers in five different countries. But when I hired my first one in Cebu City, Philippines, I thought, you know, if this ever were to get really big for me, I'd like to have all the people that work for me in the same city. So I limited my hiring to only people in that city. Now, here we are eight years later, I still have that office. And I have some people that have worked for me there for eight years. The newest employee has been there for six years. Wow. They all know each other and they all get together and have a couple meetings a year. And this is before any kind of Upwork or Fiverr and all that other kind of I stuff. I actually but... found them on Upwork. Okay. If anyone from Upwork is listening, I, I do still employ some of them through Upwork and some of them just are employees now. Got it. Um, and it was actually called Odesk before it That's right. Upwork. That's where I interfaced with some of these. And then, you know, as I lay out in the book, I found a couple people that were good. And I ended up saying, hey, do you know more people like you? I had to make sure I had the right people and the people that I trusted. Now, you know, there's some downside to that, too. Like, for example, there are, it's 3.30 a.m. there. 
Right. Uh, so if you're going to deal with people, you know, people predominantly don't want to work vampire schedules. So, you know, I had to make a lot of sacrifices and things like that to get that office online. You know, there was a lot of times I was up at 2 a.m. <laughs> and 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. just so I could be available when they needed me to be. I've kind of had my business supported by outsourced and I literally wrote a book on it as well, too, as in terms of how to scale with your business and find outsourced support. And Philippines is where I went. I've had a lot of challenges in India, so I always focus on Philippines. It seems to have a little bit more understanding of the Western culture and other stuff like that. But that message totally resonates with me in terms of outsourcing and kind of building a team outside of where you're at and people finding ways to kind of scale their business. Now, one thing you brought up, though, which was also in the book that I really took something from was you talked about having this coin toss moment. And you mentioned earlier, you know, when you're starting multiple businesses, just knowing when it's time to quit or walk away from those different kind of businesses. This wasn't necessarily you quitting, but this was you making the decision to go all in. And this was the coin toss moment. Talk about that a little bit. What did that mean for you as you really started to put all your cards in? Well, the coin toss moment happens in all parts of your life. Mm -hmm. And you're always going to get one in business. And here's the thing. Like, if you're listening to this and you want to know the reality of starting a new business, you're not going to be successful right away. You're not. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm actually like one of the most positive people you'll ever meet. I'm also a realist and I owe you the duty to tell you, you got a hell of a lot of work in front of you. Mm -hmm. And at some point you're going to sit back and you're going to go, man, I used to have a job that I got a paycheck for and I could leave at five and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're going to have this moment that's the coin toss moment where you're like, did I make the right decision? Should I still be doing this? And, you know, I quit a six figure job to go back to school as an adult. I had people telling me I was crazy. <laughs> and here I am and we're a couple years in this ticket resale business and this online marketing business that we had. And I was making about the same amount of money I was making at the job that I quit. And I had a lot more stress. I worked a lot more and it was just a lot more things that weren't determined. And now at that moment, you know, I literally said to my wife, because she worked at the business with me, I said, how about we we're going to flip this coin heads, we'll keep doing this B, I'm going to go get a job. (laughs) Now she didn't let me flip that coin. (laughs) She knew she looked at me and she said, Are you really going to quit this now? And I said, No. And I put put the coin back in my pocket. (laughs) It was just more of a philosophical exercise and the understanding that, well, you got to make that decision. So at that point, there was something about that decision that then turned on the afterburners because it was like we had agreed, realized and understood that it was time to get it done. And You know, I had to do some other things too. Like I just had things in my life that were distracting me. I wasn't sure I was completely committed Mm -hmm. to to all of it. And that being kind of early in my experience with building businesses, like that's the thing. It's like right now I, I work as an advisor and I do a lot of consulting and stuff like that, but I rarely get involved with businesses that are true, true startups because it's so much. You know, it completely engulfs you and swallows everything else that's around you. And if you're not willing to, you know, make that the side of the coin that says I'm going forward, then you're probably not going to make it. Right. So, you know, I mean, that's really it. The coin toss moment happens a lot of things. I mean, you can look at someone you dated. You had a coin toss moment. (laughs) I mean, you did get a coin toss moment. I don't know if you're married or not. I'm I'm married. I'm married. Yep. Well, you had a coin toss moment there and it was a big one. It sure was. Yeah. Hopefully it worked out. It it worked out. We're we're 21 years in. It's it's going pretty strong. That's good. I had my first coin toss moment and I wish that it had come down tails rather than heads, but... (laughs) But that's, that's for another show. Yeah. Listen... The one of the reasons why I really like this book, and this is important for me to tell the listeners this, I read a book by a gentleman, if some of you guys remember, I spoke to Paul Downs, who wrote the book Boss Life. And in this book, he was very transparent about his ups and downs in business and 
transparent about his successes and literally gave you the ledger to his business. He literally had copies of how his business was doing when it was in the black, if he had to lay off employees. Your book reminds me of that in a lot of ways. And this is why I really like it, because you are very transparent about, you know, for those who aren't as technically savvy or understand how the web works, you know, you should. But more importantly, you getting hit by Panda and having algorithm issues with Google and your own personal funding, how you did it with credit cards and all that stuff. I just really like how you're transparent about the challenges and successes that you've had in business in general, which is refreshing because a lot of times you just get people's, it's such, I'm re I read a lot of fluffy business books that I don't appreciate because I can't take anything from it. That's actionable or something that I feel like I'm engaged and I literally can apply to my business. Your book, people like Paul's book are things that I think I can walk away from and say, you know what, this is a good perspective on my own business. You know, here's the thing is if you can't find $15 of utility out of my book, then you need to question whether or not you even need to open a business Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) or keep running one because I give you enough stuff in there that I failed at Hmm. um, that, you know, if you can just take one step to the left or right of that failure, I I don't know. I wish that I had had been able to read my book before I lived it in in the regards that, you know, you talked about, you know, issues with Google and stuff like that. Well, it's easy to feel bulletproof until you realize you're not. Right. That, that was part of what was going on. I was like, oh, this gravy train will never end. I think deep down inside, I knew it. And, you know, I alluded to that in the book. But at the same time, I just never realized, like, how painful some of that would be. And I look back at so many different things like that. And I think, man, this is really useful stuff. And even all the way down to, you know, some of the tough lessons. I think one of the things that's funny is when I talk to people that have read Million Dollar Bedroom, they almost all tell me it's funny. (laughs) And I wasn't really trying to be funny when I wrote it. I was just telling my story. And I get that feedback a lot. And I think that maybe that's the part of it. I've had a lot of people read it that I actually had one guy that read it that took the time to reach out. He found me through my Facebook author page and he, you know, made some comment. He said, I love this book. It's really great. I felt like I was sitting there talking to an old friend and I replied and I said, well, that's great. And thank you. Hopefully it leads to success for you in your business or your future business. And this guy replies and he says, Oh, I don't own a business and I never want to after reading this book. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, you, you definitely laid it out there and you made me realize that that's not really what I need to be doing. I have to say entrepreneurs are cut differently. And if a lot of people, they have fun t-shirts that say hustle and grind all day, get out my way and all this other cool stuff. But if they really saw how the sausage was made and some of the expenses that you go through and risk you take and different things like that, there'd be a lot of people like that guy that would say, you know what, now that you've told me everything up front and it doesn't look as sexy, I don't want to do it. But as long as they're hearing Gary Vaynerchuk and other people feel like they're just crushing it, you can get in these million dollar cars. They want to go for it. But if you really told people like you did on the podcast here, where it's like, look, chances are you're not going to be successful. You're not going to make it. In fact, your first business might not be the one, you know, it's that kind of stuff that starts to really shake people to say, are you really an entrepreneur? Cause now this is a gut check here. Yeah, I agree. That's the thing too. And I'm seeing that change a lot. I think that one of the things that I'm really seeing that I'm happy about is people accepting the whole concept of failure. Mm. And it doesn't mean you have to like it, but I don't think I'd hire someone to run one of my businesses right now that hadn't had some serious failure at Mm -hmm. some point. And the reason for that is because they probably still feel like they're bulletproof Mm -hmm. and they want to make a lot of decisions that aren't really based on an understanding of, hey, this could really destroy everything that we're doing right now. Yeah. Again, not to offend anyone, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to school, but that's the arrogance sometimes that when you come out of school, you've taken out loans and you've been able to survive on ramen noodles, but you're not hurt. You can come out thinking like, hey, everything's going to be okay, when really there's another low you can go to if you take enough chances and sacrifice enough money for businesses and Especially when you have a family to pack up with you and 
And yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, that's why in the last third of the book, I kind of get into the whole act of these are some of the ways that you need to start a business. And these are a few things you need to understand. I try to stay really active in the startup community here in Kansas City, which means I get all kinds of interesting people that reach out to me. And, you know, I get a lot of people that say, well, I've got this great business plan. Okay, do you have any money? No, I don't. How are you going to get it? (laughs) I was going to go down to the bank and get a loan. (laughs) No, you're not. Well, what do you mean? The banks don't give loans to new businesses, especially startups. That's right. You know, and stuff like that. And that's why I put a lot of that. I even put a disclaimer in that last section of the book. I said, you know, be careful and beware. This might not be the most captivating part of this book, but it is without a doubt important. Matt, I don't know why that is such the biggest misconception for a lot of entrepreneurs that when they want to start a business, they think they're going to just go down to the bank and get a loan. You have to understand as entrepreneurs that if you haven't put up enough capital or any kind of capital yourself, the bank is saying, look, this is your idea. And if you don't believe in it enough to put any kind of money in it, why should we? It's also driven by the fact that the statistics behind your success are low, really bad. That's another thing, too. You take that to the next level. And this is something that I really love dealing with. And it's the whole capital finance that goes into things. And that's what I try to help folks with around here is also preparing and getting yourself ready to approach investors about funding. Because a lot of people think, you know, hey, I'm going to come with this, you know, 40 page, super duper business plan. And that's not always what gets it done. You know, not, I'm not going to read your 40 page business plan if you want me to invest in your business. And that's back to that business school versus reality thing. And, you know, there's certain ways that things get done. And I mean, here's the thing, regardless of how great you believe your idea is and how unique it is, you better make sure it is because there's probably already like 6,000 people out there already doing it. Yeah. I learned this lesson a lot with Gigabook. We just had to do it better and we had to find our own niche. The thing with Gigabook is it's fully customizable. And if you own a hair salon and you want your online booking platform to be Gigabook, we'll flat out tell you, we're probably not your best option. We deal with the other 24 million businesses in America that need something that isn't just available right out of the box. So it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily have a unique idea. And that's another thing, too, is I get people to say, well, if only 10% of people who needed this would use it, okay, where's your plan for reaching those people? Mm. And, you know, that execution and we're saturated. Mm -hmm. You're saturated with everything, everywhere, all the time. It's amazing when I talk to people and how hesitant they are to even sign up for a free trial that takes 20 seconds to sign up for. Mm -hmm. People say, what's the biggest lesson you've learned as an entrepreneur? I say, understanding my path to revenue. Mm -hmm. And when is that first dollar going to arrive? And what are you going to have to spend to get there? And how hard is it going to be to get and you want to talk about trying to test your intestinal fortitude. I mean, we'd spend a quarter million dollars at building Gigabook before we'd ever taken in a buck. Mm. And we knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's excruciating. It was all my money. So, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't all of my money, but all of the money that we used was money literally coming out of my own pocket. And, you know, it's easy to say that. People say all these clever things. You got to spend money to make money. No, you have to spend money well (laughs) to make money. You have to spend it in the right places on the right things. You don't just go out and spend money. That's true. That's that's so true. I'm sitting here. I know you can't see me right now. I'm just sitting here shaking my head, (laughs) thinking just like, wow, maybe you and I can write a book about all of the things that people believe are true about being an entrepreneur, but aren't even close. Oh, I mean, there's so much. And this is why I think having these podcasts and so much information that you talked about being out there, you know, in some respects, I think we have so much information, the stupider people get in terms of how they see things, because we still only look at what we want to see. But being an entrepreneur definitely has its challenges. I mean, your title alone in the book kind of sums it up. There really are setbacks. There's, of course, successes. But the only thing that's going to break one through over the other is either consistency, knowing when to quit, all those kind of things. But within those, there are definitely things that you have to be willing to do. One is sometimes spending more money than 
you either planned on or spend money that you planned on, but spending it correctly, as you pointed out. And there's so many tentacles to being an entrepreneur that it just blows my mind that people think it's as sexy as it is sometimes. Yeah, well, they see you when you're successful. And that's the thing is our culture really, you look at the movie about the social network, about Facebook, that's a great movie. And that's a great story. And I actually watch it about every two or three months just because I think it's inspirational. Mm -hmm. But that's a one in a billion. Right. A better movie would be about the guy that's working 90 hours a week. He probably isn't making a lot of money and he's just hoping to get over the hump. Right. So, And the reason why this is important to talk about, Matt, is because there are entrepreneurs out there today that we kind of present. And when I say we, I don't mean us per se, but... There's a presentation, the culture, if you will, kind of puts up this look of success. And you have a guy that is working 70 hours a week, yet he's like, well, why am I not successful? Well, it's not a question of why you're not successful. They may not be as successful as they look. You have to get away from comparing yourself, too, which is also another killer of any kind of business is the expectation of someone else's success. Yeah, be you. You do it for yourself, not to impress. And another thing I mentioned, too, that I think is really important is I get asked a lot. People say, well, how do I make a lot of money? (laughs) I I said, well, you need to not focus on money. Mm. And they say, well, what do you mean? So you need to focus on being the best at what you do Mm -hmm. and being good at it. The money's the byproduct of all that. Mm-hmm. And you focus on getting around the right people and having the right process, and you're going to find yourself successful there. Being worried about money. And, you know, another thing you're talking about, I know people that are into marketing, and I feel like some of these folks, that they spend so much time comparing all these statistics and looking at all this stuff and, and all this different things. And they're like, well, are are you on this blah, 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 blah testing? And, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not trying to sell stuff. You know, I'm not sitting here looking at numbers. Like I come back, I look at the numbers, you know, sales cures ales. The more stuff we sell, the better off the business is overall. We can come figure out all the rest of that later. Don't get so caught up in comparing yourself to, oh, well, we're not this or we're not that. Okay, well, what are you? You know, you should be a hardworking person that you have a plan and try to execute it and expect that the plan is going to have a lot of deviation and a lot of changes in it and be prepared for those. It's not always a sunny day. A good plan, it accounts for the sunny part of the day and the rainiest and darkest parts too. So if you're prepared for that stuff as it's coming down the pipe, you're going to be in good shape. You know, worry about you and don't spend a ton of time feeling sad or well, kind of like you said, priestly. a lot of the people that you look at that have a lot of success are maybe not as successful as you think. Right. It's really funny because I don't own a suit. <laughs> I don't own any suits. And that's a real thing. And, you know, and it's funny because I'm not too concerned about that part of my appearance. I can walk into a high-end jewelry store or someplace like that. I might be in there for a few minutes. They're, they're not rushing over to help me because <laughs> I walked in in shorts and a t-shirt, you know, and maybe I haven't shaved for five days. But that's because I've been busy doing what I do. I'm not out trying to focus on a lot of this stuff. Now, that's a, an example that just saying you, know, you don't judge a book by its cover. But I agree with that one specifically because using Facebook as the example or Mark Zuckerberg, they talk about how a lot of these guys from Silicon Valley and just smart guys doing business stuff in general, how they kind of wear the same stuff or it's not as sexy because they don't want to give how they dress too much thought because they're using their brain power towards other things and building stuff. So totally. Yeah. How we have this idea in our head that if you don't have a gold watch or a suit on, then you're somehow not successful. And I can guarantee you that you look at Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and some of these other guys, Tim Cook, you throw them in a room, you'd probably never know who they were if you told them to dress just like how they would normally dress. Well, there's a great example of that in Million Dollar Bedroom. It's uh, uh, Jim Olufsen, the founder of General Homes. If you met Jim, you would never know that he might be the wealthiest guy you've ever met. You know, he's a rancher. Right. And he's got a dirty pair of shoes on and jeans that probably have the other part of the mud on it. And, you know, just doesn't really look like someone that invented the concept of the model home. Right. But if you talk to him and you, what he mentioned and talked about in the book is 
He's focused on the people, the process, and the product. Yep. Those are the things that matter. And he wasn't focused on the money. That shows up later. It's a really weird thing to try to wrap your arms around. But if you can do that and you can be patient while that bakes in the oven, you'll be in pretty good shape at the end. We want to thank today's sponsor, Namecheap. Are you trying to find a domain registration company or a host that best fits your need? Namecheap is a domain name registrar in a web hosting company that I've worked with since 2002. They were established in 2000. They offer domain names at some of the best prices in the industry, along with full-featured hosting packages, secure SSL certificates, WhoisGuard privacy protection service, and much more. Go to the link in today's podcast, click on Namecheap, and get yours today. That's good stuff. You know, so speaking about wrapping your arms around something, I looked at your Instagram page, and I looked at you and your family and you with your kids and you look like a happy guy. I mean, you look like you enjoy the family time. And I think one thing entrepreneurs always struggle with, and I know these are conversations that I've had on podcasts in the past, was about work-life balance. And you have a book called Balance Me, but it largely attacks the idea of work-life balance, essentially. How do you look at work-life balance as an entrepreneur? You know, you're pulled in so many different directions. How do you take the time to settle down and focus on the thing that things that matter most. First off, I've got an amazing wife who gets me. And that's true. And with that, I came with many disclaimers. Um, <laughs> you know, just saying like, you know, hey, this is how I am. This last few months, I've been kind of engaging in this whole productivity experiment that most of the time goes really well. And I try to find the moments when I'm feeling really inspired and I jump on them and I ride them until they're done. Mm. And it's a really, really weird thing because I've got a really weird schedule. It's not uncommon for me to be up working in the morning still from the night before. Yikes. I Well, but here's the thing is then when that inspiration runs out, then I can let it go. And the thing is, is if I feel like I'm putting that off to the side and I need to go do something else, then I've got something distracting me from whatever it is that I have in front of me. And it's kind of odd. And I don't think it would work for everyone Mm -hmm. because most people aren't going to handle the scheduling part. I'm one of those people that sleeps like three hours a night. So that alone is odd. Yeah, you're already beating me because I need seven or eight. I really do. And I like to think I'm a driver of business, but I definitely need seven. Otherwise I'm cooked. That's the thing too, is I also don't put things in the box all the time in the level at Saturday, I can't work. Mm. And because I've put a lot of hard work in and I've done a lot of things that have worked out well, I've afforded myself the ability to well, you know, tomorrow's Wednesday. If I feel like I need to be working on my next book and that's what needs to happen right now, I have the ability to do that. Now, sometimes that doesn't always jive with the regular schedule, but, you know, our lives are kind of, our lives, meaning my family's, is kind of built around the entrepreneurial hustle. Mm-hmm. We talked earlier about t-shirts and things. That I'm actually on my website just today, I just put some t-shirts up that say, respect the hustle. <laughs> Well, um, well, I wasn't talking about you. I meant... No, it's fine. I get it. And, and the, <laughs> the, the thing is, is the reason I, I made those is because that was that whole mentality is like, respect the hustle. And I hustle when I can as a parent. Or I tell you what, I for a guy that wrote a book about having an awesome personal, professional and physical life, I really suck at working out. Mm. Today, I got up and I did it first thing in the morning, which is almost unheard of for me, because if I'm going to work out, I like to do it in the middle of the day. But I found myself not doing it. Sometimes you also have to force change a little bit. Let me ask this, Matt, if you had work, sleep, family, fitness or friends, work, sleep, family, fitness or friends, and you could only pick three, which three would you choose? I would pick family. I would pick work. I've worked so much. I'm not sure I really have many friends anymore. That's not true. Um, sleep wouldn't be on the list. Sleep is out. So you now have work, family, fitness, or friends. 
I would probably take friends and, and consider fitness later. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not, the greatest, it's not the greatest approach, but I'm not trying to be a pro athlete at this point. So I just decided that if I can get enough of that in that I don't die too early, I'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but fitness is not, that probably has been one that I shouldn't put to the side, but it has not been in my three. My three probably have been family, sleep, and work, um, which I really need to make more time for friends. And I even brought up on Facebook, like, why don't men seem to have real friendships or engaging ones? And probably because we work so much and spend so much time with family, you could make up a lot of excuses, I guess. But my friends are other. I, I found a way to mix it. A lot of my friends are other entrepreneurs that I've met along the way. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's that's a nice little groove. Some of it's like it lets me get the best of both worlds in a lot of places. And then I found out some other entrepreneurs that also have kids that are my kids age. That's some of the stuff that you can find the right fit. And I'm the first person to shun social activity if I don't feel that it's with the right people as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that in a snobby way. I'm just a very big advocate of surrounding yourself by the people, similar people to yourself or people that you really would like to model your own success after. Totally. I'm a firm believer in the people that you have around you are typically who you are, frankly, or what makes you up. And I know that's old cliche, whatever you want to call it, but... Well, there's reasons for that. And, you know, the reason is that people that aren't successful oftentimes have a lot of unsuccessful stuff coming out of their mouth. That's right. And the more you expose yourself to that battery of negativity, and that's another thing, too, is you're not going to find a lot of highly successful people that are intrinsically negative. You know, that's another thing for me is if you have a lot of drama in your life, your life isn't going to be a part of mine. (laughs) I know that much because I'm over it. I don't want to have I don't have time for that. You know, that's right. If the first thing I do when I call you every time is have to listen to you complain about how the world is working against you, same thing. So I'd rather sit here by myself and do anything than either of those things I just mentioned. I think there's something to be said for it. And also just in general, people that take up the space in your brain, whether it's negative or positive, you have only two options, right? It's like on Shawshank Redemption, where he says, get busy living or get busy dying. It's like, that's true. Yeah, it's totally true. There's not, I mean, there's not a lot of options. So why not pick the positive? I've had a lot of people get after me about that. And that's the thing in balance me that I get into is you have to get yourself out of the way. We're really good at being our own worst enemy and being the reason that we aren't successful. It's not because the world is working against you. It's not that because you've been dealt a bad hand. And you know what? There's situations where some of us have more to overcome than others. Yes, I acknowledge that. But in the end, you can boil any situation down to yeses and nos and trues and false. And I get a lot of heat for this. I'll say you look at someone that has a drug problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you boil that down, you get to the point where that person has to decide, yes or no, I'm going to use drugs. Mm. And (laughs) that's where people get all mad at me. There's so many more things. I'm like, I didn't say there weren't, but in the end, that's what it comes down to. It's a yes or no decision. And everything is true or false or yes or no, you win or you lose. And that's really kind of the way that things come down to. And if you can simplify that with your thought process and you can start thinking of things as valuable or not, you know, positive or not. And these kind of things is if you can simplify your thought process and your decision making, especially into that, and it requires making tough decisions. Like we were just mentioning, sometimes deciding that you're not going to hang out with certain people or spend time around people, that's a tough decision because you have to break the news to them in some way Mm -hmm. (laughs) or just not show up anymore. And oftentimes it's people in our own family. That's very true. Yeah. And that's the hardest part of all. And that's where... That's that yes or no. Okay, here my uncle or my aunt or whoever is just that, I don't know, drama, negativity, blah, blah, blah. Well, you are the one that's making that yes or no. I'm going to spend time around them or this and that. And then when you have kids, there's an, that's another thing too. You, now you're exposing other people to it. Sometimes feeling selfish is the better way to go about certain things. If you can't make yourself happy, you're not going to make others around you happy. Yeah, and... Having a family adds a whole new layer to it for sure. So, Matt, 
as we wrap up here, tell us what you have coming up. If people want to buy the book, where can they go? If they want to hear more from you and read more about you and just get details around your businesses and all that cool stuff, feel free to share how they can get in touch and reach out and read everything you have out there. Well, both my books are available on Amazon. You can also visit my website, mattdec.com. They're cheaper at my website. If that's how you decide to go, if not, they're available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. As far as things coming down the pipeline, I actually have a book coming out next year that kind of reaches into my roots in the music industry, which is where I worked long before I did anything else. And I've collaborated with a, uh, I'll let you look this up later, with a rock star. And we are writing The Realist Guide to a Successful Music Career, Mm. an interesting project. It's filled with truths, much like my other books. If you do pick up a copy of Balance Me, also know that I've got a free app for Android and iOS. Uh, As you'll read in Balance Me, there's a little bit of a scorekeeping system that I lay on you if you decide to use it, and the app helps you administrate that, which is kind of fun because you can gauge your own progress. And that's free. And other than that, you know, Million Dollar Bedroom's been a lot... I thought it would be popular. It was actually a lot more popular than I thought it was going to be. We spent number one on most of July and the new releases for small business books. And thank you to everyone that helped make that happen. Um, going to have some follow-up with that. And I've got some uh, speaking engagements coming up here next month at Global Entrepreneur Week here in Kansas City. We'll be uh, recording those and putting those on my YouTube channel. Yeah, it's a really good book. I purchased it. I don't have anyone on the podcast that I'm not reading their book. People can always see a screenshot on Instagram or just something that, you know, I feel like I pull from the book. So I'm definitely a fan of this book. Again, it's right up there with Boss Life. The transparency of it, I think, is pretty cool. It's not a, again, a fluffy business book that I've read in the past. And typically I don't have those people on just because there's nothing applicable. This book is really a good one. So I want people to check it out. Matt, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, my man. I appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing it live. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks for listening. The next episode of the Marketplace Podcast drops on Sunday, drops every Sunday. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating, a review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others find out about the show. I got love for you, and I know you have it for me. Help me raise the bar even higher. For more information about the show, follow me on Twitter at the handle P. Willis Sr. Until next Sunday, keep dreaming, keep pushing, and I'll do the same, and I'll talk to you soon. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious.